You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. Today our gospel reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. And here Matthew records, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This is God's word. Truths of God's words with you and to unpack them together. This is what we do as a family. And so I'm just thankful for each one of you to be here and to be able to celebrate Easter with you this morning. Um, I want to use this story that David has just read to you as the backdrop uh, for a message that I want to, to preach to you this morning uh, that I hope will settle our hearts in the power of the resurrection, the reality that Jesus is alive, and prepare us to go to the table this morning uh, and to receive uh, from the Lord today. In John chapter 11, there is a time where Lazarus dies. Uh, His two sisters are distraught. They really believed that Jesus could raise him from the dead, uh, that Jesus could heal him, all of this. But they felt like that Jesus was late and that he would not have died if Jesus had come sooner. And so when Martha meets Jesus on the road, uh, she sort of brings this out to him. She, she sort of deals with this out of her heart of anguish, and she talks to the Lord. And he responds back to her. And this is what he says. He says in, in John chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And we all love that piece of it, but there's a very, very important piece that follows that. And it is a simple question that Jesus asked Martha. And he says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And I want to ask you this morning, I want the Holy Spirit to to really reach into the depths of our heart. Do we believe this? Do we live out of a confidence? Do we live out of a belief that Jesus is alive? Do we live out of his promise as though he is very, very much alive? Paul pushes the button on this a little bit in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this is where I really want to land and talk to you this morning. Um, in, In verse 17, he says, If Christ has not been raised, 
your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. And those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Oh my goodness, how dismal. How, how hopeless that sounds. How ominous that feels. If Christ is not the Christ. If Christ has not risen from the dead. This is where we are, people. This is where we land. This is the argument that Paul is bringing. And if we step into this sort of ominous argument with the apostle, we ought to get this kind of eerie sense that, that everything, and I do mean everything, that, that makes our lives, our days remotely worth doing, they are hanging in the balance if Jesus is not alive. If he, if he is not the risen Savior, what hope do we have? If He is not the risen Savior, what motivation is there for us? If He's not the risen Savior, what are we doing? If Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile, you're still in your sin, and those who have died in Christ are perished. Let's, let's sort of unpack those three things in just a moment here. It's interesting enough that, that each of the gospel writers do differ in respect to certain details about how they share this story of the resurrection of, of, of Jesus. Uh, for instance, Matthew tells us uh, that two women came, Mary Magdalene and, and Mary, Mark and Luke, sort of uh, indicate there's three. Uh, there's different names, so there's obviously even more women who, who came. Uh, Salome is there, Johanna. But, but not all of these pieces get told in the same story. And Matthew represents a, a single angel announcing Jesus' resurrection um, and and. and the visit at the tomb. Uh, Matthew and Luke, they, they tell about two different men who come. Uh, they differ in how they talk about what they're dressed in. Uh, one is dressed in, in white. The others say that they were wearing dazzling apparel, what, whatever that might mean. Um, Matthew tells us that the, the appearance of the angel was accompanied by an, a, a great earthquake, but Mark and Luke don't seem to, to see that as valuable to put into their particular uh, uh, account. So, so we have all of these different pieces of the story that we put together. And we, we, we bring them together in a, in a synoptic kind of way. But here's the thing. These differences notwithstanding, each of the gospel writers agree that this man, this God-man, Jesus of Nazareth, who was hung to die on a Roman cross on the evening of the Passover, who, who lay lifeless in a borrowed tomb, on the festival of the unleavened bread, was indeed raised from the dead on the morning of the first fruits. Not one of them differ in this fact, all right? That's where we stand, all right, is the reality that Jesus Christ is alive. That's what I'm announcing to you here this morning. Jesus is alive. He's resurrected. He, he is living. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is making intercession for you and I. So we get this one thing straight, and that is that these gospel writers claim, and they are faithful followers of, of God, and, and that, that all of those faithful followers after them throughout the centuries, they affirm this one thing, Jesus was raised from the dead. They have it in their mind that this is a real and a corporal resurrection. And that's what I'm proclaiming to you this morning. He came back. He came back. He walked among men. He, he, he did miracles. He showed himself wounded. 
for our transgressions. He, he walked and showed himself true to the people. And so I'm saying to you this morning, this is where we stand. This is where we gather here. We say that Jesus is raised from the dead. And, and, and folks, please understand. I, I understand what we're saying. We are, we are saying, when we say Jesus is raised from the dead, we're fully aware of this dreadful process of death. Some of you are more aware than others. Some of you have lived with family members and you've walked them through to death. Some of you have worked in, in institutional settings where death is a common occurrence and you've said that. I, I worked in a hospital for nine years and I, I, I was a chaplain in the ER and, uh, and in the hospice and I sat with many people who died and I held their hand and, and I, I, I walked with their family sometimes through and beyond that moment. And, and so I, when I say this, I, I'm saying to you, I, I understand, I understand. Understand that that sort of ominous last gasp. I understand skin that was once pink is is and, 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 and supple and, and soft is now gray and cool to the touch. I understand joints uh, stiffening up. Uh, I understand a sudden moment of just absolute stillness, quietness, end. I understand death, and I think many of you do too. And yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying it reversed. I'm saying he came back. I'm saying he overcome all of that. I'm saying all of that happened to him. It all happened in the grave to him, as did other many miraculous things probably that we don't even know about. But the reality is that he came back from that grave. All of that reversed in Jesus Christ. And he became once again a living man who walked on the face of the earth. Everything reverses. He's dead, but then. He's buried, but then. The, the, the guards are set, but then. All, all of this is predicated on this sort of but then. Jesus breathes, he blinks, he moves. He, he moves towards uh, the, the purposes of the Father. He enters the marketplace once again. He enters into human experience once again. But he is entering in as the living one, Jesus Christ, who is dead but alive. He is risen from that place of death and defeat. He is walking now as a victorious overcomer of death and hell and all of its limits. And so we are resting with this Jesus even in our confidence today that indeed he has done this let's go back and hear Paul again he says if Christ has not been raised from the dead your faith is futile you're you're still in your sins matter of fact those who have died in Christ have perished but what we're saying to that today by our gathering and our celebration is that in fact Christ has been raised from the dead. The Bible says he is indeed the first fruits of those who died. And because of that, folks, everything is different now. Let's, let's break that up for just a little bit. Just think about it. If Jesus had not been raised from the dead, as, as the argument goes, and listen, if that, if that were true, as one writer says, the hymn of every other doctrine unravels like a cheap dress. It, 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 nothing holds. Nothing. If that is not true, nothing holds. If Jesus Christ is not raised from the dead, your faith is futile. All right? Something, something amazing here 
is, is the reality that our faith is, is very much our comfort. We are, we, are, we are wrapped up in what our faith does for us. And, and, and the reality that we are comforted by this God who has, has foreknowledge and, and He predestines and He does all of these kinds of things for us. He blesses us. He calls us. He, he gives gifts to us. He, he puts callings upon our lives. He calls us up out of darkness into His marvelous light. All of these things are huge things. And folks, if Jesus is not alive, then that, my friend, is a cruel joke above all jokes. And I'm going to tell you what, there's no punchline to that. We don't live there. We cannot live there in that place. Without Jesus' resurrection from the dead... The incarnation, my friend, is like a, a, a paper mache tabletop decoration, if you will. The miraculous stories are, are just smoke and mirrors. At, at best, the Holy Spirit doctrine is just an emotional sound and fiery kind of, of thing that signifies nothing. There's emptiness in it. He's alive. He's alive. This thing we have together in community called faith, it's real. And He is alive today. And, 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 and folks, if, if, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, you, you, can, you, can, you can junk the creeds. You can write off the Reformation as just some kind of power struggle. You can, you can call your second coming hopes just a crapshoot. I'm sorry to be so blunt, but let me tell you something. This is where we live. This is where we breathe. This is where we have our existence. Our whole identity is wrapped up in this reality that Jesus is alive. Where are you living? Where does your heart have faith? Where are you believing today? Are you living as though this Jesus is alive? Are you living as though this Jesus is active in your life and my life and the lives of the people in this neighborhood and this city and beyond? If Jesus Christ has not been raised from the dead, our practices are foolish. Our services are a waste of time. The best gospel songs are just screeching. Let me tell you something. If I had to sit in here, I sat in here today and listened to wonderful music. Did you not? I loved this music today. I love celebration. I love, I just, I just love worship. I w- love worshiping God together. But I'm going to tell you what, if, if I had no hope this morning and I was sitting here, those songs would sound to me like somebody's fingernails on a chalkboard. It would be irritating to me. It, it wouldn't make sense to me. It wouldn't fit for me. But it does. It fits for me. It fits for me because I know this Jesus who is alive. I know this Jesus who is coming again. I understand what I'm singing about. I understand what is being internalized in me as I participate and as I read a creed or I follow a responsive reading or I I have a a, a time of prayer and meditation before God as as I get with you and we fellowship together and our hearts bear witness with one another and we believe together the things of the kingdom of God and we rest our hope in the fact that this same Jesus who went away from you is coming again in the like manner. And so we hold to that. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives life and meaning, hear me, to every other imaginable thing that you and I can do. He is central. He is core to it all. And this is why the psalmist could say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless God's holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all God's benefits 
who redeems your life from the pit. Your life is redeemed from the pit because Jesus has done business with the devil. He has overcome. He is the general. He is the leader. He is the God King. He is the one who has fought life and death and won. And he is alive today. You can go a little further. John the Baptist, the revelator. He says it this way in in the book of Revelation. And then I turned to see whose voice it was who was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white as wool, white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined as in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face shone like the sun shining in full force. That is a resurrected, living, holy Son of Almighty God. And he went to the cross for you and I. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives life and meaning to every imaginable thing possible that you and I can partake in. Let me tell you a, a story. This is a, another pastor's story. It's, it's not mine. I, I love this story for a lot of different reasons, but I, I, I want to share with you something that I think can, can speak to your heart this morning. So I'm appealing to your emotions just a little bit here right now. Um, but this is, this is what he says. He says that, that he has some friends. Um, they're not much younger than him and his wife. Um, and uh, they uh, had just welcomed into their home their first child. Um, they had wanted children for a long time, um, but he was in school and doing graduate work and then got out, and he was a, an educator, a theologian. He was, he was teaching in a university. Um, he had some pressure put upon him to produce some writings, to, 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 do, to do some publishing. Uh, there was some anxiety about his tenure review, these kinds of things. All these, he says all these things just kept creeping in, you know, and they, they kept putting other things on the back burner, so to speak. And he says, for reasons to, to us that are still a mystery, he goes, we were unable to conceive a child. Um, but they were happy nonetheless to be able to adopt. And so when the day came for them to go to uh, China and to return home with their little guy, uh, they found out some quite shattering, earth-shattering news. Not bad news, uh, necessarily, but earth-shattering news. And that was that they were going to be able to pick up their little, little four-year-old boy, but accompanying him would be his 12-year-old sister. And so there was quite, quite a, a bit of a surprise here, okay? Um, and, and, and that, of course, was like, you know, like going from zero to 60 in, in, in nothing flat, like a heartbeat, you know. Um, but the, the thing was, this little girl did not speak a, a lick of English. She was Mandarin. Um, and they wanted to share, you know, the good news, not only of their love for her, how they loved her, but also they wanted to share uh, the good news of the love of Jesus with this little 12-year-old girl. Um, and uh, the pastor says that, you know, this family, they were very uh, close to, to each other. Um, and they were realizing that they were struggling because they didn't have the gift of language with this little girl, okay? Um, but 
this couple had heard the pastor a couple of different times in his sermons. Uh, on one occasion, he had used a Greek word, which he apparently pronounced pretty good. Uh, and on another occasion, he had, had used a Hebrew word, uh, and he uh, pronounced that pretty good. And they thought, well, gosh, if pastor can, can use Hebrew and he can use Greek, he probably knows a little Mandarin, too. Uh, you know, that, uh, it, I mean, desperation will make you think certain things, you know. Uh, but they thought, at least he could communicate. He can probably communicate with her. He can help us in, the, in communicating with her. And so they brought her into his office. And, and he says that when she walked in and saw him, she just started to tremble. She had a, a little black leather volume that she was holding in her hand. Um, the pastor assumed it was like her traveling documents or something. He was very wrong. Um, but at, they made these sort of feeble attempts, you know, to, to be cross-cultural in communication. Um, and, and as they are doing this and getting frustrated with it, he notices the little book again and then realizes that it very likely could be a Bible. And so what he does is he looks, he looks down at this, this little black book that, that she's holding, and, and uh, he says to her, he goes, Jesus? And, and she immediately reached over on his desk and, to a pad of paper, and she grabbed a paper and, and, a, and a, a pencil that he had on the, on the desk, and she started to, to just make some lines. You know, she started to, to draw some lines, and she drew several stick figures, uh, but one of the stick figures was larger than the others. And she smiled, and he goes, Jesus? And so she takes that piece of paper off, and she starts to draw again, and uh, she draws three crosses, and of course the cross in the middle is much larger than the, the two crosses that were flanking it on either side. And he looks at that picture and he goes, Jesus. And she draws a picture then of this same kind of figure laying on a slab, and she takes the edge of her, her pencil and she tries to, to, to go over it on, this, on the side of the pencil lead and sort of create this kind of canopy over it. And the pastor whispers to her this time and he goes, Jesus. And she then tries to draw these lines, these sort of like radiant lines that are coming out from this stick figure that is laying on this piece of paper. And she obviously doesn't seem to be able to do it in the way that she would like to do it. And so she wads up the piece of paper and she throws it over into the corner and she looks at him and she stands up and she puts her hands together like this and she goes, pow! And he says, Jesus. <laughs> different people communicate it in different ways. Whether you're a Calvinist or not, I love the way that John Calvin says it. And he says this. Um, it, it's taken from, from the Institute of the Christian Religions. Religion, not plural. <laughs> and he says it this way. He says, We see that our whole salvation and all its parts are comprehended in Christ. We should therefore take care not to derive the least portion of it from anywhere else. If we seek salvation, we are taught by the very name of Jesus that it is of Him. If we seek newness of life, it is in his resurrection, period. If we seek immortality, it is in the same. It is in Jesus. 
he goes on to say this. Since rich stores of every kind of good abound in him, meaning Jesus, let us drink our fill from this fountain and from no other. Hallelujah. That's what we're after. That's what we need to be after. That's how we need to be responding to this Jesus in our day. We don't go to any other fountain. We don't go to any other source. We don't go to any other place. He's alive. He's alive for you. He's alive for me. He's alive for the church. He's alive for our ministry. He's alive for all that we're doing for the kingdom. He's alive and he is sufficient for it all. The second part of that that verse is that if Jesus has not been raised, he's saying basically our, our sin is like a locked door. And, and, and not only is the door locked, but the key's kind of been thrown in, a, in an ocean too deep to find it. If Christ has not been raised for your faith, it is futile, but also you are still in your sins. You're still in your sins, he says. In other words, there has not been forgiveness. Let me tell you something. Well, one writer says it this way. Let me, t- let me tell it. He says it much better than I could say it. He says, Of all the commodities on the stock exchange of the human experience, none is more precious, none more sought after than this, to be forgiven. To be forgiven. Now, I'll, t- I'll tell you where, I, where this is meaningful to me. I planted my feet on this truth right here, and that is this. If we confess our sins, He who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If He's not alive, He cannot do that. When I got, when, when I got delivered out of drugs and alcohol and all the other things I was involved in uh, as, a, as a young adult, when I, when I realized I had to turn my life around, when God got a hold of my heart, that's where I planted my feet was right there. That's where I live. No one's going to take that away from me. Because my Jesus is alive. My, my Jesus lives. My Jesus forgives. My Jesus is able to take that. He's able to restore me. He's able to take all of that that I was carrying. And he's able to lift. He did lift that off of me. Nothing else lifted that off of me. Believe me, I tried a few things. Nothing else could take it away. Nothing else could remove my guilt. Nothing else could erase my shame. Nothing else could give me deliverance. Nothing else could move me but the blood of Jesus Christ. His forgiveness. The reality I remember to this day. I am 61 years old. And I was a very young man, an older teenager at the time, and I knelt in a little white church down in South Georgia, and I walked into that place and walked down to that altar, not even understanding what I was doing, not knowing what in the world is going on, except that something is moving me, and I knelt in that altar, and a a big old southern pastor came over and, and whispered in my ear, and he says, do you need to be saved? And I said, yes, and he said, let's pray, and I remember standing up and realizing that, oh my goodness, I am not the boy that went down into this altar. I am different. I am different, not because I did something special, not because that pastor had any kind of magical formula. I am different because the living Jesus is alive today and forgives sin. 
That's why I am a different person, all right? And so I, I, I have planted my feet right there. And so I say to you today, God will forgive you. God will forgive you even though when you were a child, somebody hurt you, some retrograde jumped at you and hurt you in some way, either emotionally or physically or some other way. God overcomes that and God, God forgives anything that, that that brought about in your life. I'm telling you what, if you are some guy and you're hiding some sin, you're, you're down there in the basement and, and you're you're watching porn and you're you're praying to god please don't let me get exposed don't let me get found out i'm gonna tell you what god will heal you god will deliver you god will set you free god will forgive you for that thing if you're a person who's sitting here and there's some horrible sin in your past and you just can't rise above it i'm telling you jesus will rise above it jesus can lift you out of that place jesus died for that sin if you're a person sitting here and there's been adultery or, or other things or you've suffered the, the hurt and the agony of a divorce, I'm telling you, God can heal you. God can move on your behalf. God can deliver you out of that place of hurt and pain and suffering because He is alive. And regardless of what your sin might be, there may be some horribly ugly secret sin that you've carried for years or decades or whatever. I'm telling you, this Jesus, He sees all, He knows all. But I'll tell you what, because He sees all and He knows all, He has done all in terms of giving His life that you may be set free from that particular sin. You don't have to carry it any longer. You don't have to live it anymore. It doesn't have to consume you or overshadow you. You don't have to hide it or keep it down. You can let go of it and release it because this Jesus who is alive today is alive to forgive you and set you free from every sin that has plagued your life. That's where we live. That's where we are. How do I know this? I know this because people for centuries have bumped into this living God and they have fallen into this amazing ocean of grace and they have emerged out of this place coming up out of these cleansing waters of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's power in that place. There's, there's something amazing about the reality of being set free from sin and being, being forgiven and being brought out of guilt and shame. This is where we start to identify with, with the psalmist and we say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all the benefits He who heals my diseases and forgives all of my iniquities. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul. And you move from an observer to a worshiper. And you begin to live in the presence of this great risen Savior. We would be without hope, but in fact, Jesus has been raised from the dead. There's one more piece to that verse. If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, it says that those whom we have loved are lost. Well, what that means is then that that all they are is a memory. All they are is a a fleeting thought in our minds. Those those who have died, those who have perished, if if Jesus is not resurrected from the dead, there there is no hope there in those who have gone on before us. See, I think we have to be able, as a family of believers, to be able to say, I believe, I am convinced, I am determined that nothing can separate me from the love of God. Not even death itself. 
Because this Jesus is the everlasting Redeemer. And He is risen. He's risen. This passage that I read earlier. Jesus is the first fruits. This is, this is the economy of God. That this, this is our Christian faith. That Jesus' resurrection is for us. And we will experience resurrection with Him. It, it's, this is the gospel. And He is that first fruit. But we are the following fruits. I, I, I could go on in that. But, but let, let, I, I, just, I want to prepare you. I want to prepare you for this table here. I want you to understand that there is a great hope. I have hope not only for me, I have hope for you. I not only have hope for you, I have hope for people that have gone on before me. I, I, I rest in that great hope that there are those that I will see on the day of the resurrection of all believers. Let me, let me close and get you to the table because I believe that today Jesus wants to impact you. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak to your heart. And I believe that you're going to receive encouragement and strength from coming to the table today. And I, I, want, I want to prepare you to go there. When I was a chaplain many years ago, um, it, right here in Sioux Falls, in the middle of the night, one night, I got a call. I've told some of you this story before probably, or at least parts of it. I got a call in the middle of the night to go to a room and the nurse said I just, I just want to tell you that this family's distraught this family's in a mess and uh, you may have your hands kind of full here and I said okay and I, I said can you, can you tell me a little bit about what's going on well one of the daughters in the family is dying and uh, they're, just, they're just devastated and there's, it's a big family oh my goodness it's a huge family I'm like, okay, I, I, I'm tell them I'm on my way. And I kind of pulled myself together and uh, headed upstairs. And I got to this room, and there was this very large family. They're an African-American family. This woman was laying in the bed. Um, she had sickle cell anemia. She was literally on her deathbed. Her daddy was on one side, her mama on the other side, all these siblings around, grandparents around, aunts and uncles, everyone. I, I had to walk through a train of people on each side of me to get to the foot of the bed. And I'm looking at this woman, and she's laying there, and she's writhing. She's moving about. It's obvious that she is struggling. She is wrestling. I thought to myself, oh my, I've not ever seen anyone wrestle with death before. She was physically wrestling with death. She was fighting something. And, and her mama saw me, and, and uh, I, as I was walking around the bed, she, she reached for my hand, and she, brought, she took my hand, and she, she pulled me up by her daughter, and she took her daughter's hand. She had been holding her daughter's hand, and her daughter was writhing to such a, a magnitude that, that it was moving her mother. Her mother was just rocking there by the bed as her daughter was, was moving about in, in the bed. And, and I, I asked, you know, what is, what is, is wrong with her? What, what is she dying from? And her mom said, sickle cell. And I said, okay. And, I, and she said, and we've been here. We've been here before. We've been in this place before. And uh, I, I took some liberties in that moment, and I said, does she know Jesus? And she goes, oh, yeah, she knows Jesus. And somehow I think that her daughter heard us in that moment because mom took her hand and put it in my hand 
and she stepped back. I don't know if she did that because she really believed that I could comfort her daughter or she was just exhausted from fighting this battle of death with her daughter. But she stepped back, and, and I could feel the pull. This woman was strong. Though she was in the throes of death, she was a strong woman. But something began to come out of her mouth, and it was this. I got to tell somebody. I got to tell somebody. And then it changed. I'm not a singer, but I'm going to do this, okay? It was just loud. I got to tell somebody. Oh, I got to tell somebody. Oh, I'm going to tell somebody. I'm going to tell them what Jesus has done. And I was like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I had been with people who died and it wasn't pleasant. I'd been with people who died and it was uneventful. I'd been with people who died and it was quiet. I'd been with people who died and their families were devastated because of the kind of death it was. I'd never been with someone who, who fought death like she fought death and we fought with her all through the night and every so often that that sort of refrain would come to her and she would sing it and when she sang it it was powerful and I said to her mother I said I, I gotta go I gotta go but someone else will come and they said, you'll be back tonight. I said, yeah, I'll come back tonight. Long story short, I came back the next day to pick up something at, at the, the hospital that I'd left behind. And, and I happened to run into one of the nurses, and she said, hey, did you go down and see that lady? And I said, she's still alive. And she goes, you should go to her room. I went down and, and walked into her room, and this woman is sitting up in bed. She fought the battle one more time. And she became alert. And all the family was there this time. And they all talked to her and shared with her. She went back in a couple of days into the same state. Um, and I was back several nights later. And I sat in the floor literally comforting her mother and father as she passed away. But I walked out of there realizing I need to tell somebody. I, I need to tell somebody what Jesus has done. I wanted to go find somebody and tell them. Because you see, I understood this woman had a faith. And this Jesus was alive in her. And she was a victor over death. She knew she was a victor over death. She knew that death did not have a hold on her. And she fought that death to the very end. And I'm going to tell you something. The reality is she is alive. She is alive. She will be alive in the resurrection even though she may sleep now, she will be alive. And that is what I say to you today. Brothers and sisters of the resurrected one, he's enough. He's enough. He's sufficient. He's everything you need because he is alive. 
And I want you to stand on that today. I want you to stand on that reality. Your faith is not futile. You are not still in your sins. Those who have gone before you have not perished. But in fact, He has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have died. And He is ever living and sitting at the right hand of the Father and interceding for you and I. And today, you may experience His life in abundance. Amen? Amen.